You're listening to the Hindu Business Line's Field Notes podcast with T.R. Vivek. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of Field Notes, the weekly podcast on all things agribusiness from the Hindu Business Line. Um, we are, of course, available on our website, www.businessline.in. You can listen to our Field Notes on all the audio platforms like Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iTunes, where you get your podcasts regularly. You can also watch this on Business Line's YouTube channel. For feedback and comments, or if you'd like to listen to any issue in particular, you can write to me. My email is in the show's description. Just a week ago, the global management consultancy Bain came out with a new report on Indian agriculture. The small 10-page report received plenty of attention. It says that the uh, $370 billion Indian agriculture industry is ripe for disruption. And the recent regulatory and uh, technological changes would create a massive value of 30 to $35 billion by 2025. We have with us Parijat Jain, one of the report's three authors. Parijat leads Bain's agribusiness practice in India and is based out of Delhi. He's an MBA from IIM Ahmedabad and has a master's degree in chemical engineering from IIT Delhi. Welcome, Parijat. How are you? Thank you, Vivek. Thank you for having me. Let me preface this question. Uh, the world of management consulting is replete with uh, reports based on irrational exuberance uh, that kind of feed the frenzy and, and end up creating bubbles. Why do you think we are at the cusp of a massive transformation in the Indian agri sector, Parijat? Yeah. Thanks, Vivek. I think uh, you're right. I wouldn't comment on uh, you know how how other management consulting firms work, but I think what what is what is key to understand is that we believe that there is a mega trend, underlying trends of multiple angles that are really coming into force right now, that are almost irreversible, right? And what do I mean by that is, for example, there is a shift in consumer behavior. Uh, a lot of the farmers and the farmer households today, as you see over the next decade, are going to be digital natives rather than just you know somebody who needed to learn how to use a mobile phone. There's a consumer behavior in, in preference of technology and the ease of using technology. Mm-hmm. The second is the ubiquity of technology itself, which basically means technology is pervasive. It is available in your mobile phone, uh, there is a computing, almost a computer in your hand. There's a computing power in your hand, as well as the data transmission costs are low. And so the transfer of information and the transfer of actually accurate information of not just what to do now from a farmer's perspective, but also what's going to happen tomorrow, whether it's going to be rainy, what's the precipitation levels, should you actually sow your seeds today versus sow your seeds actually three days later, all that information can be can be gathered and disseminated at a reasonably uh, at a reasonable cost, but also to a reasonable level of accuracy from a region perspective. Uh, it's not for you know a state or a district, but actually can get down to quite a quite a nuanced view of of where your farm is or where your you know area of cultivation is. So I think there are changes in the consumer behavior. There are changes in technology and people's ability to use that. Um, and I think all of this will accelerate farmers as well as the farming practices into more technology-friendly solutions, which fundamentally will be a lot more efficient, which will improve productivity, reduce wastage, 
um, and also improve the utilization of inputs uh, apart from obviously thinking about output connectivity as well as logistics management, which are other areas that we'll talk about. But we feel that this shift has happened and therefore we are quite confident and excited about the fact what lies ahead in the next decade. Mm -hmm. Um, some might argue that um, given the current status and maturity of even the biggest agri-tech firms in India right now, your estimate of a 30 to $35 billion value pool being created in the next few years, is it a bit generous? Are you painting a picture of uh, sunlit uplands uh, that are very far or perhaps don't exist? No, I wouldn't think so. I would, I would say that I'm cautiously optimistic on Indian agriculture. And I think if our estimate is is reflects that optimism, but also reflect that conservatism to a certain extent. We've been quite measured in our in our extrapolation or projection of where the value pools will be. I mean, if you just think about it, the Indian agriculture today is anywhere between 350 to 400 billion dollars. You know, given our the size of our economy, uh, agriculture actually is the only sector that has shown robust growth even in the years of COVID, and we actually think that it's going to continue to increase um, at a reasonable growth pace. Um, in that context, I feel that the, the areas that we have outlined, whether it's output marketplaces, input marketplaces, and supply chain logistics as highlighted in the, uh, in the report, uh, I think 30 to 35 billion value pool um, is, is, is not that difficult to achieve. In fact, I think if everything goes right, that that number could be could be higher as well, just given the size of the market and, and I think the growth potential um, mm -hmm. that exists in the market today. Mm -hmm. No, I ask you this because uh, any 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 good news or a positive prognostication about Indian agriculture almost elicits a sense of disbelief. You know, because we're used to uh, hearing uh, dire stories about about Indian agriculture, and we're always told that you know it's a huge it's a huge problem area. Uh, the the usual tropes that we hear about you know about how um, uh, you know one section tries to make a case about it being almost unredemptive you know the usual tropes of uh, of being of uh, fragmented land holdings or the need to yeah. take out so many people from agriculture and 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 the need to put them into more productive industry uh, you know yeah. that that seems to be, our ears seem to be attuned to uh, hearing that kind of analysis. Yeah. No, I think, no, I agree. And that's been the narrative for, unfortunately, the narrative for the past many years and decades. And the challenge, uh, Vivek, with Indian agriculture has been that fundamentally it's a small farmholder ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a land holding of one acre, two acre, etc., the surplus that a farmer can generate at 30, 40,000 rupees an annum or 50, 60,000 rupees per annum, or at least from a crop cycle, um, isn't enough to sustain or is just barely enough to sustain. Um, if you add over that the complexity of high finance cost and the unorganized sector financing cost, that is what actually gets farmers into a debt trap. Um, and we hear the kind of news that we hear, the unfortunate news of many farmers committing suicides, etc. I think the answer is to, to this problem is not that we it my first, this is my personal opinion, the answer is not to get a bunch of people out from agriculture and get them into manufacturing. Uh, that's been the China model and, and there are merits and demerits for that. But I feel that the answer is now to transform agriculture in a way by better use of technology 
because there is no reason as to why agriculture could should be 15 20% of our of our economy it can actually become a larger portion of our economy mm-hmm. and the technology exists today uh, along with the financial inclusion methods of you know online payment and and having the right credit history uh, that we can have shared operating cost we can have shared ownerships there are many let's say equipment p2p rental platforms which is just the beginning of what we call shared ownership and time sharing models and equipment or asset sharing models that can come in that are attuned to offering a solution to using technology but without actually paying the entire 100% capital expenditure on it right you mean uh, and i think that is uberization of of farm machinery uberization of farm machinery is is the start of it right so now you can have a tractor for example that 10 people can own or you can rent it by day right um, you know just think about it for example if you have drones that are serving your fields and spraying whether insecticide or pesticide accurately based on image recognition for a farmer who has a 1 acre land parcel it's very difficult to invest in that drone uh, and you know have that operate over his or her field but if you think about it you know 10 15 20 people can can buy that drone and and use that to service their fields and the monetary and technology exists today and the monetary mechanisms exist today to be able to share that cost amongst 10 people um and and the more and i think that's that's what excites me is that over the next you know 3 to 5 years or maybe 5 to 7 years we'll be in a situation where this will almost become ubiquitous uh time sharing models and and asset sharing models and cost sharing models will become uh you know the norm and mm-hmm. the paper use um the paper use for any product or service will also become the norm mm-hmm. which will be fantastic because then even small farm holder ecosystem can afford to pay for one hour of any equipment usage or one day of any equipment usage without having to own it i think that's that's something that that is fundamentally going to change and that is where technology will play a critical role okay uh, parijat let me quote from your report um, you say the uh, idea of doubling uh, farmer incomes in the next few years is likely to become a reality based on the technological and regulatory changes in this sector uh, are you placing your bets on the regulatory changes um you know that might uh, end up getting stuck in the quagmire of competitive politics as we are seeing with with uh, farm protests and uh, the government putting on hold uh, uh, the reform measures yeah vivek well, that's a great question um i feel that the the increase in farmer incomes and the increase in farmer surpluses year over year is going to come from two main uh, areas one is increase in productivity um and the increase in productivity actually comes from usage of better quality inputs which are and and people are getting access to better quality inputs no matter where they are there are many input market places that have come up there's a lot more information available about when to sow what type of seeds to use you know should you sow today should you sow tomorrow there's likelihood of rain etc what's the precipitation level etc i think there is a lot more information that is available again through usage of technology through usage of just your mobile phone um there's going to be an increase in productivity there's going to be a simultaneously reduction in wastage because you'll have market linkages on the output side um 
And, and all of that fundamentally will lead to disintermediation of the value chain. And that's a fancy word, but what it fundamentally means is it, it gets the farmer closer to the actual consumer of the food, but it also gets the farmer closer to the actual producer of his inputs. Now, whether that's a fertilizer, whether that's a growth product, whether that's a seed, etc. And with the right information, I think the farmers can take better decisions on the farm and off the farm, right? To double the farmer income, it's important that a farmer actually reduces the wastage, gets the right quality of inputs, and then improves yield. And that is where a majority of the surplus is going to get created. Um, you know, just giving you an example, if you start using, let's say, drip irrigation, or if you start using the right quantity of fertilizer, the cost of the inputs can actually go down to the extent of 30 to 40 percent. Farmers mm -hmm. typically use more fertilizer and use more pesticides because they they don't know either which which pesticide to use or or how much fertilizer to apply in many cases right and if there is a if there is a nuance understanding of uh, of what to apply when there can be a reduction in the amount of inputs that that are going into the production of of any crop i think those are the two areas where the farmer incomes will will get increased uh, and there is massive scope you know doubling is is one area i would say that there is there is a fundamental change where you can actually rotate crop cycles you can think about not just wheat and paddy cycles but you can even get into horticulture where farmers can do crop rotation and actually produce higher higher value and higher quality crops you know for let's say certain part of the year um, i think regulations part is something which will accelerate this trend, you know, whether it's market access, whether it's, you know, the APMC Act and, and again, reduction in the in the expense across the value chain, which we've alluded mm -hmm. to in our report. All of that will accelerate this particular trend. But I don't think that regulation or regulatory changes are mandatory for this change to happen. I think there will be an accelerant to the change in terms of increasing farmer incomes. So your analysis will hold good even if the farm laws are kept in abeyance for another three years? Sure. As I said, the regulatory changes, when they happen and, and how they're implemented will accelerate this change. But I don't, I don't think that they are, they are the cornerstone of our, our uh, assumption and our analysis. Right. That, that's, that, that sounds promising. I'll quote you another passage from the report. Um, you say that we see the sector benefiting from a today forward future back approach uh, yeah. where organizations can maximize the potential of the current business by becoming cheaper, cheaper, better, faster, broader and greener. What do you mean by this, this approach future forward? Have I yeah. got it right? Uh, no, yeah, it's, uh, it's today forward and, and future back, right? So yeah, let me explain. Yeah, I got mixed up. Um, so when we think about today forward approach, uh, Vivek, it's, it's doing the things that you're doing today, but doing it more efficiently. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if I go back the, the agricultural landscape, you know, till 1800s or 1850s before the industrialization kicked in into any meaningful way, there was a traditional way of doing agriculture, which was basically the inputs were local inputs, but I think the input of the all the energy that was going into the field was either human energy or animal energy, right? I mean, so you have 
domesticated animals doing agriculture and you had humans doing agriculture, right? Then there came the era of mechanization. And that's where, honestly, we are currently today. We have better equipment. We have better, you know, we have stronger equipment. We have more ubiquitous kind of solutions. But fundamentally, it's using energy and equipment and mechanized equipment to actually do agriculture. And fertilizers, et cetera, are a part of that, right? Now we are into an age where, and, and this actually helped us to support the growth of the human population from whatever one, two billion that it was at the turn of the century from 1800s to 1900s to, you know, six and a half, seven billion over this century. And it only happened because we increased the, you know, the production of fertilizers, we increased the level of mechanization. So we increased the efficiency of agriculture multifold, um, not just in India, but I'm talking globally. Right mm-hmm. Now we've entered into a, into another phase of agriculture, which is what I call precision agriculture, or fundamentally saying that I can produce, you know, any crop or, or any plant individually uh, and, and figure out whether it needs a pesticide, it needs an insecticide, what inputs to give, when to give it, when to water it, etc. You know, a very simple example of that is, let's say, drip irrigation. And, and drip irrigation actually consumes less water, but, but gives better quality product. Right. And so as you think about these, you know, this development, this is today forward, which means I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to grow plants and I'm going to grow crops, but I'm going to grow them more effectively. There'll be less wastage, there'll be higher yield, and I do that better. Right? Mm-hmm. What we say, you know, future back is saying, I'm going to do things differently, right? So one example of that, which is already on, on the anvil and you would have heard about is, let's say, impossible foods. It is meat, but it is not meat. It is a lab-based product, which is obviously now mass-produced, but it's something that was fundamentally not grown on trees, right? Uh, it's grown in a lab, for example. There's, there's company, many companies, whether you say impossible foods or air protein or stuff like that, where the food that we will eat will be partially grown on land and in trees or in greenhouses, but it will also be grown in labs and it will be far more efficient to produce, it will be far more nutritious to produce, to eat, and also it will be far higher yield and less wastage and less resource intensive. Uh, and as we think about the human population growing from, you know, whatever, 8, 9, 10 billion over the next 30, 40, 50 years, uh, we will need to have this change in the way we produce food and what we consume to be for it to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. You know, there, uh, whether we whether we can feed a, a population of ten billion, uh, the the kind of food that we are eating today and the kind of and and in the manner that we are producing the food today is a real question, and I don't think that it is sustainable to do so. So as we think about today forward, it's it's about you know, producing more efficiently. But if you think about future back, it's about doing things differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Parijat, how is, uh, uh, in the Indian context, how is digital disruption uh, in agriculture playing out now? And how will it in the future? How do you see it playing out in the future? And also, uh, more importantly, will it benefit the farmers? Or as the bugaboo goes, you know, with any technological intervention or innovation, the fear that they will be left behind? Yeah. So I, so digital disruption is a, is a big word, but fundamentally what I believe is that there will be more and more use of technology. And when I say technology, it's better access to information. It's better access to equipment. 
uh, it's better access to inputs and mm-hmm. and it's better access to output or or you know for the consumer it's better access to output uh, if you want to let's say buy a fresh produce that is being produced by a farmer three days ago it should be straightforward for you to do that right um, and then and on all of those things you know when when I think about digital disruption landscape in India the it, it's not you know let's say going back going back a few years a lot of the disruption or a lot of the investment was was actually focused around managing the supply chain well right so what we call output linkages so people or corporations would buy output from the farmers and then let's say they would provide that to you know hotel chains or 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 retail chains uh, or or large corporations right so they're kind of disintermediating the logistics to a certain extent but that is where the innovation was Today, if you see, there are startups across the value chain. There are startups who are who are trying to, uh, you know, work across input marketplaces. There are startups who are doing, you know, things across activities on the farm. Now, whether it's better information access or it's precision agriculture uh, or it's actually giving advice, you know, specific to your your crop. You know, you can click a photograph and and send it on an app, and then it can tell you what kind of pesticide or insecticide to use, etc., which is very specific to the to the issue at hand. Um, and the technology that this is actually emanating from is image processing, which fundamentally had actually nothing to do uh, with agriculture when it was started, but just has so many applications. Um, and then it, there are applications and 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 investments that are happening off the farm or on the supply chain side as well, right? Uh, and that's why I feel that the digital disruption has now become uh has now become a lot more broad based across the agri value chain um, so that's the first that's the first thing that gives me confidence that there will be innovative models that will come out um, across the across the agriculture value chain across different crops you know there are pilots that are happening across different states and there are like n number of startups that are that are actually present in india at this point of time um and and the number is actually in the hundreds, if not close to a thousand. So that's that's what gives me confidence that digital disruption is going to be a lot more broad based, and the pace of technological development is only going to increase. Um, that's one part. And the second part of the question, which you said, is whether the farmers will actually benefit from it or not. Um, I think the farmers are are likely to benefit. You know, why has the farmer not benefited so far? A fundamental reason for that. Uh, is information asymmetry to a certain extent. Uh, and the second reason is, you know, what I would call uh, a suboptimal um, access to market. You know, for, as a farmer, in most of the situations, you are mandated to sell your produce to the APMC, uh, local Monday, or to a, to a, to someone who's, who's actually has a license with the local APMC. Um, and, and I feel that, one, the, as, as information asymmetry reduces, you, you can just go to the internet and figure out what to do. Um, there are multiple platforms that, that give you the right information, you know, right from remote sensing, satellites, to actual local weather stations, to you know, applications that are encouraging peer-to-peer advice uh, to dem- disseminate best practices. I think farmers, in the end, will have better information, will have better access to markets uh, for their produce and will have better access to, to inputs. 
and that will fundamentally change uh, you know their position and their negotiating uh, their negotiating power so to me it it's it doesn't seem like farmers will will remain out of it okay okay um what are the mega trends in agritech uh, that you see shaping this transformation that you talk about no i think uh, we touched on it a, a couple of uh, you know questions ago but i think there are two or three one is as i said the the shift in consumer behavior the the way i would put it it is that a, a significant chunk of farmers now becoming digital natives or influencers their children who will be influencing their decisions or helping them on the field becoming digital natives right so 5 years from now the average 25 year old as i keep saying was a person who was who will be who would have been born in the year 2000 in the in the age of internet in the age of information symmetry and rather than information asymmetry mm-hmm. um and that i think will will fundamentally change the for the lack of a better word embracing of new ways of doing things and embracing of technology i think that that shift is likely to happen now especially in the next decade that's one mega trend which is the consumer part the second mega trend is as i we touched upon it is just the financial inclusion and the time sharing model or the asset sharing models becoming feasible and becoming a lot more uh attuned to the small farmholder ecosystem and that's where the shift will change so if the farmer can actually pay for 5 minutes of usage of a drone or 30 minutes of usage of a, of a tractor and can actually figure out okay i need to sow this type of seed and the best time to sow it is not today but actually two days from now because the you know the probability of rain is highest in 48 hours i think that fundamentally changes the the game of productivity and and so there is that information sharing which is the technology which is becoming available and cheap there is the consumer behavior which is kind of embracing that technology and then there are financial models that i feel are able to offer solutions which are basically converting capital expenditure into operating expenditure uh and and doing that in a manner that small farm holder ecosystems can use that and pay for it and actually use that to generate surplus um and once that starts it will attain critical mass very quickly right and and then and then it kind of increases at a rapid pace it can happen in 2 years it can happen in 3 years but it's definitely not something that's 10 years away okay right parija thank you very much for joining us on field notes today uh, i hope your figures are indeed on the conservative side thank you vivek thank you for having me uh, very good speaking with you thank you listeners until we meet next week goodbye and god bless Thank you.